Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hello, welcome on today's episode of Partially Excited. We got Dermot Mulcahy. He's a healer, meditator, business consultant. And he got to uh, run for the EU election here in the European Union. So hello, welcome to the show, Dermot. How are you doing today? I'm doing very well, Aaron. Thanks for inviting me on. We were arranging stuff and chatting stuff yesterday, and you were about to tell me a story about your parents and how you got into this world and all that. Tell us about how Dermot became Dermot. Well, it's an interesting story, I think. I'm originally from from rural West Kerry, from from the Dingle Peninsula. My parents, Aidan and Sheila Mulcahy, When they got married, they went to West Africa and they spent about six years in Nigeria running schools and teaching kind of native populations. So my elder brother, Robert, and my elder sister, Nora, were both born in Nigeria. Uh, I wasn't, but I was conceived there. My parents came back from Nigeria and I was born shortly after they came back. So I spent, I suppose, part of my, well, I say gestation period uh, in Nigeria. So yeah, so... We've we've big links uh, to West Africa, and it's a place that I, I know a lot about. I haven't visited Nigeria, but it's a place I would love to visit in time. It, it's fascinating how Africa, you have this draw in your family, but yet you haven't been in, which is fascinating. Indeed. Well, I, I haven't been to Nigeria. I've actually spent time in Morocco. I was in Morocco a number of years ago uh, visiting the marine sector. I was over visiting um, at a fishing conference in Casablanca. And I got very good insights into what Morocco is about. That was a kind of an interesting journey in itself. And it kind of gave me a picture of what life, sort of continental Africa, can be like. And how, I won't say every country, but certainly some countries in Africa are looking to promote themselves as places for outsiders to come and do business. We were there as part of, of a convention, actually, on fisheries between the European Union. 
and the Moroccan kingdom because it's it's a kingdom. We spent about uh, six or seven days in Casablanca. Got fated and, and treated royally. We were we were guests of honor at, at a dinner hosted by the Minister for Foreign Affairs and Fisheries of Morocco and uh, a European commissioner, the Commissioner for Fisheries at the time, who was a, a Greek woman actually. Sorry, Italian. Emma Benina was her name. And we got to see around around parts of Morocco. We were treated royally. It was interesting though because the Moroccan state was promoting itself as a partner to the European Union at the time and was returning access to Moroccan fisheries in return for European money. And uh, so we were present at the signing of a treaty. Everywhere we went seemed to be very, very sort of controlled and regulated. I stayed on for a few days after everyone else had left and the realization hit me that um, suddenly there were no police to be seen anywhere and the the entire population of Casablanca went back to what it had been before we arrived. So it was an interesting experience in observing how you know, people maybe in a country want to present a certain picture because they want to attract other people to come there, yet that mightn't have been the full reality. So I kind of got to see both sides of that. So that was a very interesting experience. And with someone that has, like you and I chat uh, off the record and we kind of chat about different things, but you're a guy that that has so much scope in different fields. What what started first? Was it the healing, the business or the marine life? What kind of got you interested in doing or doing uh, that's a really good question. First step in life for me was about a sort of a love for nature and a connection with the sea, a connection with music, a connection with the Irish language, a connection with community, all of which originated where I'm originally from, down in West Kerry. And observing my own parents, obviously, from when I was very young and the work they did in the community. So um, mom and dad built a school they came back from West Africa, built a school. They actually put it into our family home. And then they canvassed the entire parish for students. Uh, the nearest school at the time was Dingle, which was 10 miles away across a mountain pass, which closed in winter, or Tralee, which is 25 miles away. So in, in, in our area at home, people either got educated far away or possibly didn't get educated at all. So what my parents did is they actually introduced a school and then went and canvassed the local community. So so I saw kind of community, fishing, nature, music, Irish language up very close and very early on. And that gave me a huge interest in all those areas. I then went and studied science and zoology in University College Cork and got more involved then in fisheries and marine matters because that's what I studied. I studied marine biology. I had a particular interest in salmon and sort of salmon and dynamics population of rivers, stuff like that, but also a huge interest in whales. So then I ended up working in marine industry. I started in fish farming, uh, worked in Scotland, all over Scotland and Ireland, got involved with a big multinational who were working in that sphere, and then got involved in representing that organization at a national level and then an international level, which kind of brought me into Europe and lobbying and things like that. I then developed into a more broad sort of business consultancy role did a business degree with Oxford Brookes University in the UK. So that kind of brought me into broader business. I then had a number of significant health challenges, uh, including severe back trouble, severe dietary issues, a lot of trouble with emotions and maybe a bit of depression. Certain things kind of kicked in and made life a bit difficult for me. So through my own sort of my own experience and my own looking outside and then inside for answers for me, I initially got help with a number of health challenges, which thankfully are all behind me. 
I discovered amazing uh, therapies like chiropractic, which I'd never heard of. I discovered energy healing like Reiki, because I worked with a Reiki practitioner, a Reiki therapist. I discovered a lot about nutrition and diet and general fitness. I've always been fit, but I, I learned different ways of being fit. And then mental fitness and mental well-being and looking inward through meditation. So it kind of took a path of sort of community music nature initially. Then it became about education and I suppose corporate life. It then became about sort of being self-employed and looking into those whole spheres. It then developed into sort of politics. And then it came back to looking at myself because of health challenges, which I needed to overcome. So, and now I suppose a lot of my focus is on, on integrating all of that and being able to apply all the different things I've learned, all the different techniques, all the different knowledge that I have to apply to, to others and helping them, be it someone who is in trouble and needs a bit of support, be it emotional, physical, spiritual even, uh, or, or it could be a business that's looking to refocus, to expand. It could be the business owners who are actually in a bit of trouble themselves and want some support around themselves and their business. So yeah, it's, there's, there's a lot of different things that I focus on and, and hopefully a lot of things I can help people with. And what you mentioned, is this what, if, if someone went on the street and asked what is Dearman, would this be your core value of who you are and what you do? Well, that's, uh, that's, that's a good one. Um, my core value, at, at my core, I'm a giver. I'm somebody who, who really does wish for others to flourish. And sometimes, and this is something I've kind of been coming to terms with myself, Sometimes I perhaps am not as giving and as kind to myself as I am to others. So what I've been learning, and again, through, through groups like Noble Golden, which you and I are, are involved with, Aaron, that's been huge for me because I'm finding through that that I'm able to expose myself and be vulnerable within a group of people. And in that, I reach out and look for support, which again is kind of new for me. So the giving is hugely important. But secondly, giving to oneself is at least as important because if one doesn't give one to oneself, then where is one coming from? But yeah, my, my kind of core is about giving, but that has become as well giving to myself. It, it's interesting how you give and you have to be received and how one can amonate the other and the other can't, but it seems like you've come to balance with both sides. Yeah, as, as I kind of just mentioned, it's been a journey and, and I get well, I won't say so many, but there's certainly a lot of people are of a giving nature. Giving is all about giving, but I get for myself, and, and thanks for, for acknowledging that, you know, I've, I'm, I'm, get, I'm getting it into balance, I think. Giving to oneself is hugely important. I mean, there is, there is a word that's often used, which is this idea of, oh, well, you know, that's selfish. Well, if one doesn't give one to oneself, one can become depleted. It's very, very important. And giving to oneself can help one to nurture oneself, which is massively important because if one doesn't feel nourished oneself, what's one actually projecting out and what's one actually bringing to the world? Whereas if one does feel nourished within oneself by one's own actions, plus by receiving from others, I believe that that puts one in a very good place and that good place then, that sense of self, that sense of where one is at, the good vibes, the good feeling, that then can radiate out to the world. So I think, yeah, balancing it is really, really important. And to look inward and, and sort of nurture oneself, as well as then looking outward and nurturing others, 
but putting the two in balance, I think that's 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 my goal certainly. And with someone that has so many drawers open at the moment in, in different uh, fields, how do you manage the balance in in your internal journey as well as the outer journey as well? Okay, I like the term drawers open. I'm a a very 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 um, spiritual person. I I don't really do sort of mainstream religion but spirituality is a huge passion of mine. And within that, I have very strong belief systems which relate to there being um, a universal source or some people may term it God, some people may term it the universe, whatever. There are lots of different versions of that. But for me, I do have a belief that there is a higher power and that my higher self is part of that. So I listen to what my higher self says to me. I I meditate a lot. And within that meditation, I get a lot of feelings of peace myself, but also I get a lot of clarity. And in that clarity, I look for what I believe is the next most important priority on a day-to-day basis. So I do keep a lot of drawers open. And one could say, well, how is it possible to keep all of those things moving? I go with what I would call promptings. And I go with what I believe is the next most important thing to focus on. I'm going to say that it can be challenging to keep everything in focus. If I listen for my own promptings myself, okay, well, what do I really need to focus on next? Obviously, if I have a deadline for something to be completed, then I complete that. But if I'm trying to decide on a day-to-day basis, okay, where do I put my next piece of focus? I listen to my inner voice. I listen for promptings and they say, okay, look, it's really important to focus on this now. And then what I find is that there's a flow of things and if there's a flow of things, then I can manage all of those different drawers. You, you mentioned two amazing words, and I think they, they complement each other, flow and meditation. How did you discover meditation? Uh, really good question. Um, I became interested in meditation through actually a mutual friend of ours, Aaron Declan Dowling, who's a very, very good friend. I found myself at a, a corporate event one evening uh, in Galway, as it happens, I'm actually sitting outside the hotel that <laughs> we were in, bizarrely. Uh, a mutual, a friend of mine came up to me and he says, Dermot, I'm wondering if you'd be interested in taking a phone call about a particular project. The gentleman's name is Owen O'Malley. I said, well, look, Owen, look, yeah, fine. I'll take a phone call for sure. Next thing I know anyway, um, I get a phone call from this guy, Declan Dowling. And Declan invited me to come along to an event, which was actually an event focusing on meditation. And it was an event organized through an organization called Delphin International, uh, which is a thing set up by a guy called Leslie Feger. Now, Leslie's a guy who I've, I've come to know very well. He's one of my mentors. And Leslie had formed a, a system which was about teaching people about meditation and then bringing people who were learning and experiencing meditation on a number of experiential journeys, if you want. So I participated, I started to practice meditation, I practiced the techniques, and then I participated in the different events, one of which took me to uh, Yucatan in Mexico to spend some time meditating on top of pyramids and all sorts of very, very interesting things. That brought me to meditation. And a number of years ago, I came across a group which is called Heartfulness. It's the Heartfulness Organization which is a global charity, uh, which is recognized by the United Nations. And it's a group that focuses on heartfulness meditation, which is meditation on the heart. 
and Shirley, my partner, and myself, we're we're both involved with that with that organisation. We've travelled to India. Shirley's been there a lot more than I have. But we've become trainers in heartfulness meditation, and this involves us in conducting, participating in meditation numbers of times a week. I've recently been working with Boston Scientific, which is a large medical device company, and I've been working with groups of their engineers on introducing them and taking them through meditation. So, I mean, meditation is part of my day. It's part of my week. It's part of who I am. It's something I advocate for hugely and I recommend it to people. But the interesting thing, Aaron, actually, and I mentioned music uh, a little earlier. I play traditional Irish music. I play the fiddle, I play boron, I play the accordion. I was actually playing with Sharon Shannon last night at, a, at an event. We were, she was opening, she was acting as the, the guest at, at an opening of a, of a cafe in Galway. And I, I, I participated in some of the music that was being played. So I've been playing fiddle since I was seven. And I've won all Ireland titles and stuff like that. So I'd be, I'd be good on the fiddle. But playing music, it brings me to a place in myself when I play. It's like I connect with something in me. That's an amazing place to find myself. So I really enjoy playing music. And I love playing music with other people because when we play music together in what we call sessions, what tends to happen is that we tend to, to lift each other's vibration. So the music, as it, as it develops, it actually becomes more fun. It's, there's more flow to it. There's more energy with it. And I mean, one can feel it. And an audience will feel the same thing. You know, the crack increases, all that kind of stuff. That's about the energy. That's about the vibration of the music. And there are certain pieces of music that I play and that I love hearing and listening to. And they, they take me somewhere in myself. But what I've realized is that place is the same place or part of the same place that I go to when I meditate. It's an understanding I have now at this stage that I've been meditating since I was a young child. Even though it wasn't meditation, for me it was music at that stage. And music took me somewhere. And when I actually meditate, I find myself, maybe it's not exactly the same room in the house, but it's definitely the same house. And for me, what I find, and again, you mentioned flow as well as meditation, what I find is that when I meditate and I, w I recommend to people meditate at least twice a day. I have to admit, I don't meditate twice every day. I meditate twice, maybe 80%, maybe 85% of the time, every day. And I find there's a difference between the days that I do my meditation and the days that I don't. Now, I meditate more often than not. But what I find is that there's a flow, which is an interesting word. There's a flow. And... When I talked about, and you mentioned all these, this, the idea of all these drawers being open, if one allows this flow, and for me, meditation is like, it's like having a key to put in the lock to open the door. That brings you to a state of peace, of satisfaction, of tranquility, if you want. And that space is a space where I believe that flow happens. So meditation, for me, helps with that. And that then means that my, my sense of being in any given day is amazing. And that, 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 that's a sense of flow. And again, music, when one is actually in the flow with music, I mean, if, you're, if one is playing for an audience, it's amazing the effect that music can have because they connect with something. And I mean, uh, I'll give a little example. I was playing uh, at an event down in Kerry a couple of years back. I was invited to, to help a local group 
who were being asked to record a session for a German film crew, which was actually set up by Helmut Kohl, former German chancellor. He, after he left the chancellorship in Germany, he decided he was going to do something for Franco-Prussian relations. So the relations between France and Germany. And he set up this, this film company whose job is to go around Europe and film cultural events to, to strengthen cultural links between the different countries. That's what they're about. So they arrived into my small home village of Clahan, population 26, down in West Kerry. And I was asked if I'd come along just to add a little bit of extra oomph to the performance. And at the same time, the Wild Atlantic Way development was going on. And you had a number of international journalists, including a lady from the New York Times, a lady from Der Spiegel in Germany. And I don't know, I think there was a Chinese newspaper represented. There was a full busload of these journalists arrived at the same time. But they were covering the Wild Atlantic Way. And one of the Atlantic Way points is actually the village that I come from in West Kerry. So these were all in, this, in the room at the same time as we were playing music for this German film crew. And I played a certain piece of music, which is a piece of music that I get quite emotional playing because it's, it's quite an emotive piece for me. It's a piece that touches me. And when I finished playing, two of the journalists came up to me. Now, the reason I know that they were with the New York Times and Der Spiegel is because they introduced themselves to me as that. So one was an American lady, the other was a German lady. And the American lady said, I don't know what you're playing there, but it hit me right in the heart. She's in floods of tears, floods of tears. And the German lady is going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's in floods of tears as well. So the music triggered that in them. And that's the, that's the power of the vibration of the music. For me, the music resonated with me because it was an, it's an emotive piece for me. I get emotionally attached to the piece of music. And when I play it, that emotion comes across. And that affected those two women, a lady from New York and a lady from, I think, Berlin. And they were in floods of tears in a small hostel down in rural West Kerry. So that's the kind of the power of vibration. And that's the power of this flow. And that actually is the power of meditation as well, because it connects, it's a vibratory thing that connects. It just shows you how, how music and, and meditation sit together. And it, it's fascinating how um, it, it like people say, oh, I'm going to smoke 60 a day, but comparing to I'm going to med- meditate twice a day, I think, which is, you know, it's, it's creating that, that foundation for the day that's going ahead. Um, you mentioned a very emotional piece of music. Do you know what it is, or was it just you in the moment making your yourself as an instrument to let that music flow through you? It's a particular piece of music which is called Sean O'Dearaglana, which is an old Irish uh, slow air. I play a, a piece of music actually which originates from my home village, which is actually a polka set. It's a piece called A Mayday Morning Early, and it's unique actually to our village. I was taught that piece when I was a child by a lady, Kitty Callahan, who used to play the concertina. Now, Kitty's probably passed away. Oh, Lord. She's probably dead 40 years at this stage. But my sister, Mara, and myself learned that piece from Kitty Callahan, and it's, it's unique to our area. One of the reasons why it's emotional to me is that, firstly, it's a lovely piece of music, but um, it's a piece of music I played, actually, for the burial of, 
a very old family friend, somebody I, I knew since I was born, basically. And she passed away a number of years ago, and I was asked to play music at her graveside. So I played that piece of music, and I was I was pretty emotional. I was crying because she was somebody who, as I say, I knew since I was a very small child. And she was very, very kind to not just myself, but my entire family. So the emotion of playing that for Nelly, her, her name is Nelly Brick, that, that emotion stays with me whenever I play that piece of music because I connect that to an emotive time when I was feeling quite raw and sad. And that comes out then when I play that piece of music because it is, it is the emotion of it. So those two pieces of music, I really enjoy playing them, but there is, there's, there's that link to an event for me, which was a, an emotional event. As, as someone as a, as a healer has all these, these tools in this toolbox, I know you mentioned that your health was, was part of it going into this, this area and discovering how you could improve your health and get back to well-being. But in learning these tools and therapies, was it also part of your journey to, to understand them and use them as well? Very much so, Aaron. I mean, my first kind of introduction to energetic healing was to, to Reiki, which is a, a Japanese form of, energe- of energetics. And I was introduced to a lady who was a, a Reiki master. And I had the, the first experiences of having healing sessions myself. Uh, now, this was shortly after I'd started to recover from, from very severe back trouble. I was helped with hugely by a chiropractor, a guy called Dr. B or Cleo Bloodworth, who was a, a partially sighted uh, Canadian, actually. But an amazing, amazing man. Um, I owe so much to, to him and his skills. I'd have been a bit uncertain about anything to do with complementary health. I mean, numbers of my family would have been involved in mainstream medicine. And that was where I was, that's where I was raised. So I was taking painkillers, I was taking anti-inflammatories, I was taking analgesics to control very severe back pain. But I was in a very, very bad way. And uh, when I first met Dr. B, the first thing he said to me was, he said, Dermot, I can help you, but you're going to have to promise you will take no more medication. You also are going to walk a lot. You're going to drink a lot of water and you're going to commit to taking exercise twice a day. A minimum of 20 minutes walking morning and night. I could barely stand at the time. I was guzzling painkillers and I was guzzling uh, anti-inflammatories. I was guzzling analgesics to stop me getting sick from taking the medication I was taking, which was making me sick. While the medication was keeping the pain somewhat under control, it was actually having such a a horrible effect in my body. And I was actually taking medication to allow me to continue to take the medication, which was having this effect. So when I look back later, and I said to myself, that's crazy. I mean, I'm I'm a a trained scientist. And I I was thinking to myself, well, how crazy was that? So I was actually taking stuff, which was making me sick. And I was taking other stuff to stop me being sick so I could continue to take the stuff that was making me sick. So when I think about that, I said to myself, wow. And I actually went along with that. So my first experiences with, with, with chiropractic, Dr. B also introduced me to a therapy called body balance therapy, which is a series of exercises, which retrains the body in the basic movements that it actually undertakes every day. But my body was so far out of kilter that my body had actually forgotten all these basic movements. So I relearned all those movements and I'm certified actually in that therapy. I then met a lady who, as I mentioned, uh, she was a Reiki master and I started to get some therapy on an energetic level. And at the same time, because of taking so many painkillers, 
etc. My digestive system was in big trouble. So, and I was also, uh, I also became sensitive to certain types of foods. So then I met somebody who was into um, testing for allergic reactions to certain foods and other things. And then I, I re-looked at my diet. So I became very knowledgeable in that. Now I have, a, as I said, I have a scientific background, so I could understand the science. I then started to apply things. I then became very, very interested in meditation, which helped my mind. Because again, if one is in trouble physically and emotionally, because again, the two are very linked. So I started to look at meditation. And then I started to train in all of these areas. Uh, so I trained in Reiki. I've uh, undertaken three courses of training in Reiki. So I'm what's called a Reiki master, which is the highest level you can achieve in Reiki. And then I've trained in numbers of others. Uh, I mentioned body balance. I also uh, have learned and trained in what's called Aromatouch, which uses uh, essential oils. It's a therapy. It's amazing in terms of clearing stuff from from the body internally and externally. Uh, you use essential oils as part of that therapy. I've trained in uh, what's called bars, which are points on the head, which when touched and activated actually release locked energy and locked uh, electricity, electrical charge in the body. I've trained in uh, a process called hidden mind, which taps into the subconscious mind. I know that affects everything in the body. I have trained in an, in an area called the illuminated heart, which works with heart vibration and the toroidal fields of the heart, which is a fascinating field. If, if everybody realized how much power the heart and heart energy has and how much more powerful it is than brain energy in terms of its vibration and its ability to affect things, it's something like 5,000 times the, the, the actual um, vibration of the heart, something like 5,000 times stronger than that of the brain. So I've worked in that field. And also then meditation. I've trained in India and the south of France. I, I conduct uh, and I experience meditation at a very deep level, which again is a very interesting experience in itself. It helps me with clarity, but it also gives me huge insights in all sorts of areas. It helps with things like intuition, this kind of gut instinct, all that kind of stuff. It helps increase all of those sort of abilities, which are a huge help for me then in terms of you know, the kind of healing work that I do because I'm very intuitive and all this work actually helps me be more, it helps develop my intuitive side, which is massively helpful in terms of me helping people assess where they're at. Yeah, it's all been a learning, Aaron. I'm constantly learning. Um, I mean, I competed an Aroma Touch certificate three weekends ago. I also completed a certificate in Heartfulness Polarity, which is another therapy. I completed that about five weeks ago. So I'm constantly on the lookout for new things that I can learn. And for me, it isn't always going to be about me actually giving the therapy or, 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 or being the therapist on something like that. But I do want to be able to expose more people to more possibility around them healing themselves and learning how they can heal themselves. Because I think that's the real power in healing. It's not about me healing people. It's about me helping people get access to their own sense of healing, their own healing ability. And if that's something I can help with, then, you know, happy days because everyone has healing ability of their own. And if it can be activated or stuff that's stopping that happening can be cleared, then more people will get healed and more people will have better, healthier, fuller lives. How did your family react around you learning and doing all these these new therapies and meditation? A lot, a lot of this work actually have, have has changed me hugely in terms of, of who I am and how I am in the world. 
that in a way partly led to myself and Ali, my, my ex-wife, actually splitting up. I just found myself in a different place. She wasn't really in that place, so we ended up splitting up. And I also met uh, Shirley, who's my, my partner, and she's hugely into these kinds of things, hugely into meditation, hugely into healing methodologies and modalities. And that's something that we're very connected to together. My three kids, um, Alan, Daniel and Neil, they all, they all know a lot of the things that I'm involved in. Neil, the youngest guy, uh, he's learning a lot. Now he's he's twenty. He's learning a lot, and I think in future time he will he will take on a lot of the things that I'm interested in. Daniel, who's my who's my middle son, he's already in, in that space. He does a lot of meditation. He's hugely into um, martial arts and things like that. So he's he's connected very well. And Alan, my eldest, he's going through a journey. He's had quite a lot of emotional challenges. A lot of the therapies that I would employ help him, but he still has a number of hills to cross and rivers to cross. So that's kind of an ongoing thing, but it's part of my interest as well in therapies, like I've mentioned, because I've seen a lot of challenges that people go through from my own personal experience, particularly when it's in my family. And that that lit something in me a number of years ago. So for me, I want to be able to help other families, maybe deal with stuff and maybe not have to go through things that I've gone through. So yeah, just in terms of family, yeah, it's it's had a, a very positive effect, I would say, but it has led to a lot of change. It's interesting how we're able to change our, our mind, our body, our emotions, our spirit, our energy, and family and friends, how it's all constantly changing to evolve us to our, our ultimate self. Yeah, um, I talk a good bit about capacity. I mean, my belief is that we as human beings, we're unlimited in our capacity. That's a fairly big statement. As we experience things, I think there's a limitless human being, an unlimited person. So there's limitless. So what is it that actually may may stop one from being that? If one looks at all sorts of healing or all sorts of possibilities around healing, everything we go through, every experience we have, I believe, is to learn a lesson that clears something that's stopping us from being our limitless ultimate self. So every experience that we have is a lesson and that peels away like, like the layer of an onion. And the ultimate goal, I think, is that we, we achieve our, our limitless self. All those experiences that we have are lessons that help us get to that. Dear mate, if, if you could go back and, and give your, your younger self a bit of advice on all this and what's occurred throughout your your journey to get here, what would that advice be? What advice would I give to my younger self? The advice I'd give to myself, don't worry about stuff. Allow things to flow. Don't try and fix things. Allow them to be. Be kinder to myself. So yeah, that's probably it. Now, I do know that all the experiences I've had have led me to where I am and who I am. And can I undo any of the things that I've experienced? No, but but I would say to to myself, yeah, be kinder to myself. That word that word kindness is is a a very valid and powerful point, but when we're in our our own heads and doing our own thing, we forget to be kind to ourselves. 
go on. And I, I think that uh, as someone that's meditating on a daily basis and in this space, I think it's in order to be kind to do this work, we have to be, be kind inside as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. I get that within us, within us all, there's a, I don't necessarily want to call it a room, which is the kindness room, but there's a space in all of us, which is a space that cares about others and other things. For me, that's a definition of kindness. It's a space that cares about others and other things, but also cares about ourselves. And to me, the goal is to be in that space. And in that space, one is kind to oneself and one is kind to everybody else. So that's really the goal. And everything that I I do is to be in that space, is to be in the space of kindness. If you take another look at the word kindness and you bring in the word gratitude, they're very closely linked. Gratitude is being grateful for things. It's like a first cousin of being kind. And I believe that the two are very important. So if you ally gratitude and kindness, I think that's, that's a long way to being, to being one's, one's ultimate self. I like your analogy of, of, of a room. And I think all these terms we, we throw around, gratitude, kindness, meditation, soul, on, and the list goes on and on. I think these are rooms inside us that we uh, communicate to the external world. Absolutely. I, I like to use analogies. And in a way, it's, it's, it's to try and paint a picture for people. And if I can use a picture and that helps describe something for somebody, then hopefully they get something of what I'm trying to say. But yeah, the idea of a room, it's a space. It's, 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 it is about taking oneself somewhere. And, and then what is one taking somewhere? And is this one's mind? Is this one's soul? Is this one's spirit? Is this one's, one's part of everything? And that you bring that somewhere. So I suppose I'm trying. I'm trying to to um, yeah to sort of create some kind of a picture or a sense for people because it's really for me about bringing everything into that space and then acting from that space. And if the space is a space of kindness, empathy, gratitude, and work from there, that to me is the goal. When you sit down and meditate, is it moving meditation? Is it walking? Is it sitting in the lotus? Tell us about. I know you may not want to because this is sacred for you and I totally understand this, but if you want, explain to us what your style of meditation is for you and to, to people. Uh, no problem answering that one. Meditation that I practice at this stage is, is heartfulness meditation and it's generally sitting down. Uh, not always because it can sometimes be lying down, but generally it's sitting down. And when I'm helping other people to, to practice heartfulness meditation we go through what's called a guided visualization now not with everybody because experienced meditators may not require this but we're dealing with a lot of people who are new to meditation and are learning meditation and improving their meditation practice what we do is we help people get to a relaxed state first now for me because i've been practicing meditation for so long uh, i can get to a meditative state very quickly not always because there can be times when, you know, it may, there may be a particularly stressful time or whatever. And again, we're all human. So it, there can be times when a mind, the mind may be a little busier than normal. 
but that said in the normal courses of events I can be in meditative state in 30 seconds and sometimes even shorter but to help others we help people by helping them get to a relaxed state through a guided visualization which can take a couple of minutes and it's just to really connect to one's body and to realize there's energy moving through the body and to connect with that and as that energy moves through the body to allow that energy to relax the body i'm i'm talking about energy here Aaron, but it's important that people realize that they're connecting with something and that that energy actually will help the body to relax and once the body's in a relaxed state meditation can then happen the opposite isn't necessarily the case in that if one isn't in a relaxed state one can't meditate but certainly to be relaxed and comfortable as a starting point i think is a good habit and then the mind can slow down the breathing can slow down and as those things slow down and we go to the meditative space the room again if you want uh, that for me works very very well i would normally meditate 40 minutes it can be as much as an hour if i don't have that kind of time i will certainly meditate for 20 minutes and as i said for me i get to a meditative state very quickly what i will find is that i can get insights as i meditate i can get clarity in something as i meditate and when the meditation is finished i automatically feel refreshed re-energized it's uh, it's something that happens every time i meditate there's always a positive in my body and how i feel from meditation we also conduct meditations uh, for groups so we do those now i'm based in galway and we do those on sunday mornings we do them on monday evenings and we do them on lunchtime uh, on wednesdays this is for other people to participate in meditation with us so yeah it's it's uh, thanks for allowing me to share about that i mean it's it's uh, it's a very big part of my life and it's something that i i advocate others you know to 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 do i think i mentioned that uh, i've been doing some work with engineers in a medical device company and the feedback that i'm getting is 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 huge you know they they want more they want to know how can they develop this more it's helping them hugely they feel more relaxed they feel more calm uh, and in so doing i mean by getting more relaxed and calm everything else gets easier we had we had a, an event in in galway in june it was a, a food festival and part of the festival included a number of us uh, having a marquee to discuss and demonstrate meditation to anybody who wanted to come along and we ended up having a um a number of big scale meditations but then we had a talk an interview uh given by the comedian Tommy Tiernan who interviewed uh, a guy called Ivor Brown or Ivor was the um the state psychologist in Ireland okay Ivor's known in his early 90s but he was a very very well known person in psychologist uh, and psychotherapy spheres for for many many years he was actually the person who brought heartfulness meditation into Ireland Tommy actually interviewed Ivor and the whole discussion was about meditation and it was standing room only in a in a very very big marquee i think there must have been more than 800 people present and very 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 well received and Ivor was just talking about heartfulness meditation the difference it has made in his life and he made the comment and this is a guy who practiced as a psychologist and psychotherapist for his entire life and the comment he made was that for him meditation gave much better results than any of the other techniques that he learned and practiced in his entire career 
wow, it shows you the potential and the power and the ability that meditation has for all of us. Um, Dermot, I want to say thank you so much for coming onto the show and sharing. It's been a blast. Aaron, it's a pleasure. And thank you so much for, for all those, those very good questions and for hearing me out. You gentlemen. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.